This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is Thursday, the 2nd of February, my mother's birthday. What have we got for you today? The Bite Size Business Breakfast will be focusing on big economic stories. Federal Reserve rate decision overnight, raising them. OPEC oil meeting as well. So we'll be digesting all of that. We've got Mohammed Ali Yassin, the veteran capital markets investor here in the UAE. His take on earnings season here in the UAE. So far, so good for companies like Emirates MBD. What else can I tell you about from stocks to property? Sarah Hewardine, head of marketing at Hauser, is going to give us her take on the real estate market. And Keith Fitzgerald, principal of the Fitzgerald Group. He's based in Seattle in the United States. His reaction to that Federal Reserve decision. All that to come. But first up, let's jump straight into our top stories. Interest rates have done what we expected them to do, which was rise up by 25 basis points. No big surprises, but what everyone was listening for was the commentary um, from the head of the Fed, Jay Powell. What would he say that would give us some indication of how long they would keep increasing rates at what kind of rate and how long then they would keep them steady? Let us hear from Jay Powell now. This is he speaking about the current state of the US economy. The U.S. economy slowed significantly last year, with real GDP rising at a below-trend pace of 1%. Activity in the housing sector continues to weaken, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. Higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment. And you might think, talking about economies weakening, how is this a good thing? But it is, unfortunately, a good thing if you are trying to bring down inflation. And Jay Powell went on to say uh, that whilst the war was not over, it was too soon to declare victory on inflation, they're trying to get it down to that 2% mark, um, we were potentially seeing the start of disinflation. I've been speaking to a man in the States this morning. Keith Fitzgerald is the principal of Fitzgerald Group. Um, he's a market watcher. He's an investor. And we wanted to know what he made of Jay Powell's comments. Was this indeed the start of disinflation? I think that he's probably correct. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's also in firm command of the obvious. But nonetheless, that was a very positive statement. And critically, Brady, it changed the psychology of the market. You and I have been talking in several past visits over the idea that that would be key. Psychology would be key because if we can move beyond this, look beyond the fiscal mass, the fiscal challenge, whatever term you want to use, then the markets would respond positively. I think we got a nice taste of that today. And finally, it was good to see. Okay, so the markets do one thing, but what about the average consumer? Consumer spending in the US makes up about 68% of the US economy of US GDP. It is tremendously important. We are hearing that uh, consumer spending is softening a little. Jay Powell said um, that goods prices were starting to come down. I asked Keith this morning what it felt like on the ground. Does it feel like the inflation genie is getting back in the bottle? If you talk to the average American consumer, particularly if you're standing in the grocery store or you're talking about their medicine, their education, many of the things it takes to make this country go around, 
I would submit the answer is no. There's still a great deal of unease. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And frankly, there's a lot of frustration and anger because this was not caused by the American consumer. This is a repercussion of some you know, dubious financial policies or lack of control. It depends on what side of the carpet you want to believe, the right or the left. But that's really moot. So the key now, the next few days and next week or two, is if the attitude can change, if the consumer can sense hope, if the consumer can sense that there is a path forward, then I expect those things to come roaring back. Prices, of course, are not going to recede for several months to come, if even a year to come. So we're going to feel it in our wallets for a long time. But again, the psychology was good. It was a shift today. It was powerful. And it can be real. And he's talking about the psychology of the markets there and how market expectations are playing out. There's really, again, a split developing between those companies that are investing for the future and those that are merely hoping to survive. I was very pleasantly surprised, for example, by Meta's report today. That was the first time I've ever seen CEO Mark Zuckerberg, in my opinion, deliver what I constitute as a really adult, level-headed forward-looking forecast. He was very realistic. The markets like that. But you've seen companies like UPS and FedEx that have got basically the dog ate my homework situation where they're facing challenges, supply chain bottlenecks, things that they haven't resolved. The markets are definitely going to split going forward. And FedEx, the latest um, last night to announce job cuts, it's going to be cutting from its senior leadership team. That was the investors' take. What about the economists' opinion? This is Ed Bell, Senior Director of Market Economics at Emirates NBD. So we've had the first FOMC meeting of the year, and the Fed delivered on the 25 basis point hike that we and the markets had largely been expecting. That's going to take policy rates in the U.S. up to 4.75%. That's their highest level since 2007. Now, while the decision kind of looked like a foregone conclusion, I think market focus was going to be on what was in the statement and in Jerome Powell, the Fed chair's press conference afterwards. So in the statement, the Fed said that ongoing increases would allow monetary policy to become sufficiently restrictive. So that probably means that the Fed is not quite done yet and they may need to do a couple more hikes to get rates to a level that they feel is enough to take some of the sting out of inflation. Basically alluding to that, we had comments from Fed Chair uh, Powell saying that a couple more rate hikes would get policy to that kind of level and that he didn't see us cutting rates this year. Markets have largely been expecting that rates will turn lower later in the uh, second half of 2023, but the Fed has been pushing back against that. So what does it all mean for us? We've already seen central banks across the GCC, including here in the UAE, hike their own policy rates by 25 basis points as they track the Fed. Now, that's going to mean that that gets passed through the financial system in the country, through bank loans and through uh, any kind of um, corporate borrowing, mortgages, car loans, anything that has a floating interest rate on it. So that is going to mean more expensive interest payments coming up. Uh, It could be a bit more positive that we do see potential peak in how far rates are going up at some point this year. But nevertheless, it is going to make new borrowing for new projects that much more expensive and make it more costly to service debt domestically. So that's Ed Bell of Emirates MBD. Other central banks are available and indeed the Bank of England um, will be announcing its rate decision today. Tom, you're keeping an eye on that. What are we expecting to see? A little later on, uh, increase expected. No major surprises. A lot of companies obviously thinking, well, the country's just following suit from uh, the US Fed. So they've done it for the last year. They'll do it again later on today. Analysts suggesting uh, we could be reaching 
the height of the uh, interest rates by summer of this year over in the UK. Other meetings are also available. Yesterday we saw uh, a ministerial committee meeting, an advisory committee meeting um, for OPEC Plus online. This is Ed Bell again. We also had the decision from the OPEC Plus Joint Ministerial Monitoring Committee where they advised to keep production plans unchanged. Uh, that was at their meeting overnight as the Producers Alliance wants to assess the impact of China's economy reopening more fully and also understand the impact that sanctions on Russia's refined product exports uh, are going to have on markets. Those sanctions take effect next week. The next full ministerial meeting for OPEC Plus is going to be taking place much later this year, and the JMMC meetings will take place every two months. So they do have the power to call for an extraordinary uh, ministerial meeting, but right now it does look like the balance of factors in the oil market is enough to keep OPEC Plus on the sidelines. So it was a recommendation. We've asked Energy Watcher Sean Evers this morning how closely those recommendations historically are followed. It sets the policy more or less. Is, is the, so whatever they would recommend to the uh, to this sort of ministers, if you like, would be adopted. And uh, as expected, they recommended no change, maintaining the decision made at the last meeting, where which was to cut OPEC quotas by 2 million barrels a day. That agreement, when it was adopted in early October, was to be held through the whole of 2023, unless some uh, special circumstances emerged to alter that. Decided thus far that nothing has changed, so they're going to maintain course at uh, the cut of two, that's a cut from quotas. It should be noted, however, that OPEC Plus continues to produce well below their quota level, over a million barrels a day. So that's the reality at the moment. That is Sean Evers. We are all about the numbers and the announcements this morning. You've been looking at the Indian budget, Richard. Indeed, out yesterday, $550 billion budget announced by India. Analysts are saying this is a pre-election budget. The Modi administration looking forward to next year's elections, they're cutting taxes and raising spending, which is not unprecedented for a government heading into an election. Let's hear from Nirmala Sitharaman. She is the finance minister in India. She was on her feet announcing the budget yesterday and understandably quite smug because India is, according to the IMF, the world's fastest growing major economy this year. In the 75th year of our independence, the world has recognised the Indian economy as a bright star. Current year's economic growth is estimated to be at 7%. It is notable that this is the highest among all the major economies. This is in spite of the massive slowdown globally caused by COVID-19 and the war. The Indian economy is therefore on the right track and despite a time of challenges, heading towards a bright future. Namala Sitharaman, Finance Minister of India. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's get some insight now from Mohammed Ali Yassin, veteran investor here in the UAE Capital Markets Advisor. Good morning, Mohammed. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Richard. It's a pleasure. Live from the nation's capital. Looking at earnings season, Mohammed, we haven't got all the numbers in yet, but we've got quite a few on the 2nd of February, including this week, the Dubai financial market itself. 42% increase 
in net profit for last year. Overall, looking at the banks, DFM and others, it looks like a pretty good earnings season from where I'm sitting. But what's your take? Indeed, it is. It's, um, we, we still didn't have, we have about 20% only of the companies in, in each market approximately announcing. They, most of them, uh, I would say 95% of them all showed growth in profits. Financials uh, blew the numbers, of course, they're leading this, the banks and like the DFM. Uh, Mashriq, for example, although it's not heavily traded at all or widely traded, but they announced really the biggest growth in terms of net profits and a blowout distribution, I would say, of 90% uh, uh, per share. So so if it is 10 dirhams, so it is 9 dirhams per share. Still, the big, the big ones that affect the indices, so we're talking about Emirates MBD, uh, we're talking about in, in Dubai and DIB also, they showed some very healthy numbers. Uh, the, the ones that I would say maybe that still out of the banks that was the lowest in terms of growth was, for example, like Fab. But overall, overall, I think it's a, it's a very good surprise. The the um, yield story is not as good, I would say. I think that the Dubai banks in this particular have stronger dividend distribution. Emirates MBD talked about 60% per share, while um, the, the, the IB said 30% per share. That gives you a yield of uh, just are below 5%, while some of the Abu Dhabi banks were, were a bit less than that other than Adib, which, which gave really a very good 49% distribution. So overall, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very good, very good numbers. Uh, and, and I think the, the, this gives us a very good ground uh, to look forward for 2023. Well, let's hear from one of those banks that you mentioned now, Adib, Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank. We spoke to their chief finance officer earlier on this week. They had a 55% increase in annual profit. Very strong numbers from them, as, as you say, many banks did. This is Mohammed Abdelbari, the CFO of Adib. Let's remind ourselves what he had to say. Just looking back at the, the last 12 months, I would say that um, post uh, the, the cover of the COVID situation, I think we have seen a lot of tailwind uh, if one would look at the GDP from the nine oil sector growing in mid-single digits. So I think uh, going into 2022, there were a lot of internal and external factors which had to lead to that. Particularly from an Adid perspective, we were well positioned to grab this tailwind and accordingly have performed delivered a remarkable performance for 2022, as you just noted, was 55% growth in net profits. So that's from the CFO of Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank. The results from another Abu Dhabi company have just dropped. We've had Barouge. I'm reading these um, yeah, in real time uh, as as they are released on the Abu Dhabi Stock Exchange website. Barouge delivers strong 2020 two results, 10% production capacity, 15% sales volume growth. This is the petrochemicals company. Um, again, it looks like another decent set of numbers. I mean, Baruch is never going to, it's not a growth company. I mean, it's not going to double every year, but just solid from UAE companies, it seems, Mohammed. Sure it is. Baruch is petchems and petchems in the second half of the year, actually, 2022 was, was, a, was, a, was a struggle because, you know, with the war which started in Ukraine, there was a lot of demand and thought prices went up and then we saw the prices go down. So it's good that they're able to maintain these kind of growth numbers. The the good thing about Borouge, if you want a bit different, it's one of the newer companies that were listed as part of the IPO drive that we saw over the past two years. And it's good to see that those companies are delivering on what was promised to their shareholders and they are delivering in terms of their dividend distribution. I think this is going to vow very positively for the coming IPOs. 
Adnoc in particular companies have done very well to the shareholders. They're talking about coming now with Adnoc Gas. They are doing a roadshow with institutional investors. So we're expecting this to come this month. And I think this kind of IPO activity, if it comes back to the market with these good companies with a good 6% yield or above, will also re-energize the market because we've seen the market a bit slower beginning of this year, January in the UAE markets. I think investors were in anticipation of, of those results and some of those activities to, to move on the, if you want, the positive new things rather than looking backwards into what happened in 2022. Let's talk about one other company based in Abu Dhabi, which is IHC, which is mm. a conglomerate, for want of a better word, making headlines around yes. the world this week because of its investment in the Adani Group and the CEO's very high profile endorsement of the Adani Group, despite the fact that we've had, um, you know, widespread international negative press coverage of the Adani Group. This is a story that's developing in in real time. Adani scrapping its fundraising yesterday. What do we know about IHC, Mohammed? As you said, it's a big conglomerate, but I think the Adani Group is a, you know, came came from the blind side, if you want this, this story, and it's not a positive story for uh, for IHC, as uh, as it was mentioned the last year that uh, IHC and Adia, I think, committed to invest $2 billion in the gr- group of companies. There was this special rights issue where uh, IHC announced that they're going to, they, they participated with $400 million. Thank God, looks like it was pulled off. So that's money saved for uh, IHC. It doesn't look good. The, the, the reaction on the Adani group and the public markets on the companies has been very negative. Uh, yesterday, Credit Suisse uh, stopped lending uh, using those Adani assets, whether it is bonds or or equities, as as collateral, and many other banks are expected to take the same route. Um, Qatar National Bank announced that they have exposure to Adani Group. We are, there's in the same report. There's talk about first Abu Dhabi Bank and maybe Emirates MBD. Let's hope that these are smaller kind of exposures, and let's hope that these things um, don't don't blow out out of, of, of out of uh, proportion, but it is really keeping a kind of pressure on the uh, share price of these related companies. IHC is is big, and it's in terms of assets, it's huge. However, these kind of uh, stories don't reflect positively uh, on a company which relies on the valuation of the investments that they have in other companies and public markets in order to realize a lot of their uh, profits. So let's wait and see how this affects their Q1 results for them and their uh, some of their sister companies which could be involved in this investment. Last question, Mohamed. Can't let you go without asking, without asking about your <laughs> beloved football club, Liverpool. Oh, they yeah. are up for sale at the moment. You're a lifelong fan of Liverpool. I, I know that. Oh, yeah. The talk yeah. of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, launching a bid to buy Liverpool Football Club. Where do you see the money coming from? Is it going to come from the Gulf? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll be surprised if we see it from Saudi or Abu Dhabi. Um, I, I don't know if, 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 if Qatar or Dubai will come because Dubai at one point, if you remember a long time back, there was talk about it with Liverpool. Um, I, I think today it's it's a money's game. If you looked at the January transfer window, they, you know, Chelsea blew it up, blew everything, uh, everybody else with, with the amount of money they put. So money is the name of the game. It's a lousy season for us this season, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, we, we look forward to 2023 as a better season, hopefully with a stronger performance. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never walk alone, Mohamed Ali Yassin. Appreciate your time this morning. Uh, veteran investor, capital markets advisor, joining us on the line from the nation's capital this morning with his take on the earnings season for the UAE, which, broadly speaking, has been pretty positive so far. Catch up on the business headlines 
headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. A talking real estate with the head of marketing at Hauser, the real estate portal. Sarah Hewardine joins us live in the studio. Morning, Sarah. Morning, Richard. We've got you in to talk about the direct debit announcement from the land department that happened earlier on this week. Gone are the post-dated checks and in is a direct debit through your bank. Why is this significant? Or maybe it's not. So I think when you look at everybody's home country where you look at international markets, direct debit is a very common way of paying for your rent. But as you said, checks have always been part of the Ajari system here. Um, The significance comes more from the fact of streamlining the processes, reducing a lot of the admin headache that you have on as an agency or as an landlord or even as a tenant, and just moving towards a more automated system. Um, Does it help with a lot of the issues we see with international you know, landlords and international tenants coming into the market, not really. You can still only do it with local IBANs. Um, but I do think this is the beginning to phase out rental checks. Is it going to happen overnight? No, but I do think that this is a start. I mean, we're in Media City now and I'm looking at areas of New Dubai. The Greens, for example, is across the road. And then you've got Barsha Tcom across the road. And I can imagine in these relatively new areas, the developers and the owners, that might work. But if you're going into the older areas of Dubai... Karama, Bur Dubai, Dira, these 1970s and 1980s buildings that have been in the same family for multiple generations, where checks is just part of the culture. Are we going to see changes there? I don't think you'll see changes there until it's mandated. I think, like you say, there's there's the stigma. And I also think as a landlord or an owner, especially you've been in the market for 10, 20 years, having those physical checks, you feel it gives you that sense of security. I don't think we'll see that change until there's a mandate from Dubai Land Department. But I do think that, you know, it is a benefit in the sense that as a tenant, if you are going to now start paying by direct debit, the request goes to your bank, it then gets approved by the central bank, and then it gets approved by your bank. So there is that level of you know approvals that has to go on to make sure that the direct de- debit scheme works. But yeah, I do think checks, are, it's, a, it's in their mind to the landlords to make sure they have those physical checks. And I think that will have to be mandated to eradicate that. And let's talk about some of the other stories. So we've all been waiting for the Dubai real estate market to cool down. Global economy struggling. We've had a boom. Interest rates rising. Brandy spoke to to Rosie about that earlier. And yet the data suggests that the boom continues. Tuesday's deal count, 471 sales transactions, $2 billion. That's in a day. Yeah. Any let up in sight? Not at all. <laughs> and I think it's also important to remember the transactions with numbers we're seeing now is a reflection of the market from October and November. We do have that lag. But even when you think about and talk to agents on the ground, what is happening, the appetite for buying in Dubai, it's still incredibly strong. And I feel like a broken record at times continuing to say this, but it is. And there's just too many, you know, tailwinds pushing Dubai, pushing the market pushing that interest from buyers and as that rental market continues because the rental market isn't slowing down as well as that rental market continues to increase buying is the sensible choice you say that the rental market is changing at the moment and that's because we've had a number of rental evictions as rents rise landlords want to get legacy tenants on lower rents out of the building and get new punters in on higher rents and you say that while that's not easy for a landlord and, and nor should it be it's beginning to happen. Yeah, exactly that. So what we saw in last year, May, June time, is we saw a huge flip in how the rental Ajari registrations are done. So we saw a lot more being renewed rather than new Ajari registrations. 
that has actually reversed now because you've got everybody that have been served their eviction notices over the last 12 months. There's a lot more properties vacant on the market. Maybe landlords have opted to sell it, haven't sold it, decide to then get a tenant in. It unfortunately does happen. And I think that's why you're now seeing a lot more newer Ajari registrations, especially as people have had that eviction notice, need to move home and need to find available property. What about the boom for luxury waterfront property? One of the stories we discussed earlier on this week was in Abu Dhabi. It was Aldar buying Al-Fahid Island. Who'd heard of Al-Fahid Island this time <laughs> last week? None of us have. Basically, it's it's between Yas Island and Sadia Island when you're driving down towards Sadia from Dubai. Fine. Uh, you, so you drive over it anyway. But they've paid, you know, two and a half billion dirhams for it. The wider story is this demand for waterfront property. That's the story <laughs> that Aldar's buying into. Is, is the demand still there for waterfront property and the premium for waterfront property? Yeah, definitely. And I think Aldar is a good example because you've also got Sustainable City on Yas Island as well. More waterfront stock will come there. But when we look at the appetite luxury, yeah, it's, it's just not slowed down. The appetite is there for waterfront. But when we look at the prices and the price per square foot that you're typically paying for waterfront properties now, it's... It's very similar to some of the other markets you would see. So whereas I'd sit here 12 months ago and say that, you know, we're about 25% below other markets, Waterfront in particular is probably getting to be on par now. However, the grade of the build, these are new builds, a lot of the stock coming to the market, the appetite is still there. And the appetite is there from people who can afford to pay for it as well. When you look at Waterfront properties and the types of unit, it's the luxury end of the market and there's still that undersupply. The prices are still increasing there as well. Uh, final question about what's happening in terms of off-plan properties versus ready-built properties. Where's the appetite at the moment? Still towards off-plan. So they're still making up a greater share of transactions coming from the lack of supply we're seeing in secondary. Um, but I do think one thing that's been a great thing to come out of 2022 is the mindset a lot of end users have towards off-plan. There's that they're a lot more open towards it. I think everyone feels a lot more comfortable buying off-plan, especially from known developers. And I don't see that shift moving, especially now we've got a lot more project announcements handing and I feel like there's a project announcement every week at the moment and I think that will continue and with that appetite to buy off plan I think it sets in good stead for the rest of the year but you say known developers the names that we know people like those yeah yeah I think knowing you're going with a developer that has a strong track record that yes the project will might be delayed I think we're all used to off plan projects being delayed but I think that is where we'll see strong activity I think where we might see a bit of a pullback in the market is with one developer no track record built you know doing a building I think we'll see a lot more activity in the places like Talil Al-Gaf, Damak, Imar, because these are not just one building. They build communities, and that's exactly what, as an end user, you want to buy into. Sarah, always great talking to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for answering the questions. Head of Marketing at Hauser, Sarah Hewardin. Thanks for having me. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. All right, crossing live to the States now, just outside Seattle, uh, to get some reaction from the US to the Fed's decision last night. It has, as, as widely expected, raised rates by 25 basis points. We're very pleased to be speaking now to Keith Fitzgerald, principal at the Fitzgerald Group. Keith, good morning. It's lovely to speak to you. Likewise. Thank you, as always, for having me back. What a pleasure. So we got exactly what we expected uh, at the beginning of February, a 25 basis point rise, a slowing in the rise of interest rates. What people were really listening for was the commentary and Jay Powell suggesting that while it's too premature to declare victory against inflation, uh, we might be seeing the start of disinflation. What do you reckon? 
I think that he's probably correct. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's also in firm command of the obvious. But nonetheless, that was a very positive statement. And critically, Brady, it changed the psychology of the market. You and I have been talking in several past visits over the idea that that would be key. Psychology would be key because if we can move beyond this, look beyond the fiscal mess, the fiscal challenge, whatever term you want to use, then the markets would respond positively. I think we got a nice taste of that today. And finally, it was good to see. Before we get on to the markets, though, I want to find out from you, Keith, what it feels like on the ground. Because if we look at the data that's led to this decision, we've got slowing home sales in the US. We've got uh, a drop in consumer spending. And as Jay pointed out, the price of goods, if not services, is coming down. But we know that the effect of, of interest rates can famously lag. Does it feel like inflation, the genie's getting bet in the bottle? You know, it's interesting because if you talk to the average American consumer, particularly if you're standing in the grocery store or you're talking about their medicine, their education, many of the things it takes to make this country go around, I would submit the answer is no. There's still a great deal of unease. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And frankly, there's a lot of frustration and anger because this was not caused by the American consumer. This is a repercussion of some you know, dubious financial policies or lack of control. It depends on what side of the carpet you want to believe the right or the left. But that's really moot. So the key now, the next few days and next week or two, is if the attitude can change, if the consumer can sense hope, if the consumer can sense that there is a path forward, then I expect those things to come roaring back. Prices, of course, are not going to recede for several months to come if even a year to come. So we're going to feel it in our wallets for a long time. But again, the psychology was good. It was a shift today. It was powerful. And it can be real. You're talking about market psychology, though, for the consumer who's seeing headlines about job losses. Um, I think FedEx, the, the latest this morning to announce management losses, we've seen a lot of big tech companies as well. Is that not going to weigh in on consumer spending? That's a very smart observation, and you're absolutely correct. It is going to weigh on the consumer, particularly those who are laid off. Many for the first time in their lives. Our tech companies, for example, have had tens of thousands of people for the first time in their lives having to deal with an economic contraction that uniquely affects them. So that's the part of the unintended consequences that are going to be with us for quite some time. But when you start talking about the truck drivers, the rail workers, the food delivery workers, the people who are in the blue-collar jobs, the opinion is quite markedly different. But as you say, the markets were happy with it. Talk to me about the timing of the uh, the markets, what we're actually seeing play out in terms of market expectations, not just for these rate rises, but for the future. Well, it's interesting because there's really, again, a split developing between those companies that are investing for the future and those that are merely hoping to survive. I was very pleasantly surprised, for example, by Meta's report today. That was the first time I've ever seen CEO Mark Zuckerberg, in my opinion, deliver what I constitute as a really adult, level-headed, forward-looking forecast. He was very realistic. The markets like that. But you've seen companies like UPS and FedEx that have got basically the dog ate my homework situation where they're facing challenges, supply chain bottlenecks, things that they haven't resolved. The markets are definitely going to split going forward. So where are you putting your money at the moment, Keith, those you're, you're speaking to? Are we back to defensive stocks? No, actually, this is the time where you want to get on the gas a little bit. This is where you want to get back into the tech. If you haven't been already, I've been very vocal about that since October. Tech would go back to the head of the class when the psychology changes. 
if people have sat that out, they have got a closing window on their hands. They've got a limited opportunity to get back into those stocks before they really take off. Because if this narrative of reduced rates of lower inflation takes hold, then all of that money, and at this point, there's three, almost $4 trillion sitting on the sidelines. All of that money is going to come rushing back in at light speed, and the markets are going to go into warp drive. So I like that component. I'm also looking at defense stocks. I'm looking at healthcare stocks. Those types of things are going to respond well to an environment where this happens. So what are you expecting to see next from the Fed? Jay Powell, as is his job, um, is warning that interest rate hikes will be ongoing, that we won't see rates start to come down until next year. But he also needs to be a little bit hawkish, doesn't he, to get the the behaviour, the response um, that he wants to see from, from people. Is there a bit of bluff in this? What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that uh, you know the question of what he has to do versus what he may want to do are entirely different. I think he's got to stay hawkish. He's got to stay at least a little concerned, and he's got to portray the fact that he is extremely observant when it comes to these things. So I think the Fed is going to continue to raise. If it can be a measured pace with a measured dialogue along the way, the markets will adapt to that. What the markets don't like and what the markets are responding to is the fact that the uncertainty has been eliminated. That's why we saw such a massive rush and a lot of money coming back in is because we can return to certainty. That's a good thing for stocks. It's a good thing for economics in this country. It's a good thing for the psychology of this country. Keith Fitzgerald speaking to us from just outside Seattle. Principal at Fitzgerald Group, thank you so much for your time this morning. Investments go up and investments go down. Before putting your hard-earned money into any investment, Dubai Eye 103.8 advises you to always do your own background research. Ensure you're informed to navigate the market and any potential pitfalls. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.